You know, now that David had finally come into the, the, his reign, the only thing that was really left for him, really, to kind of feel like this is finally completed and that God is in this, is to bring the ark from, um, Ob- or from um, Abinadab there in Kirjath-Jerim and bring that into Jerusalem. It was, just, it was just like the last thing that needed to happen. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As we begin chapter 6 of the book of 2 Samuel, we see that David is setting up his kingdom in Jerusalem. The final thing to do was to bring the Ark of the Covenant to its home in Jerusalem. So David gathered many of his best soldiers because bringing the Ark to Jerusalem was an important step towards providing a central place of worship for all of Israel. The Ark of God represents the immediate presence and glory of God in Israel. David considered it a high priority to bring the Ark out of hiding and back into prominence. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. All right, let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel. We're going to be looking at the sixth chapter this evening. Uh, If you remember the last time we were together, we looked at chapters 4 and 5. And 5 was when David, remember, he was king over just the tribe of Judah, of the 12 tribes. He was just king over one of the tribes, Judah. And he was in Hebron, and um, for seven and a half years, David had ruled over Judah, and he was king over just that one tribe. But you remember, after the death of Ishbosheth, who was King Saul's youngest son, he was the son that was placed on the throne, really by Abner, who was really the power behind the throne. Abner, if you remember, was the commander of Saul's army. And so finally, in chapter 5, we saw that David, um, all of the tribes come together, all of Israel, including Judah, of course, they come together at Hebron. They anoint David king over the entire nation. Uh, even amidst the, the suspicion that somehow David might have had something to do with you know, uh, the death of Abner and even the death of Ishbosheth, which he did not, of course. And I find it interesting that usually on the, on the cusp of something really awesome, on the cusp of something really prophetic even, there's always this trouble that precedes it. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Whenever God is about to do something, you'd better believe that the devil takes attention and he is very active in trying to, if he can't thwart the attempt or thwart what God wants to do, which he cannot ultimately, but he will still try, the least he can do is 
discouraged, the least he can do is make it somehow emotionally maybe a little less significant. Um, He will do everything he can to spoil the ride, right? (laughs) That's his job. That's what he does. He's a destroyer. He's a liar. He's a murderer. Jesus said from the very beginning it was so. And so David finally comes into his reign in Hebron. And we know that he started when he was 30 years old. He began to reign in Hebron. And then ultimately David dies at 70 years of age. 70 years of age. So he ruled and reigned over Judah and over all of Israel for a total of 40 years. I find it interesting that Saul reigned for 40 years, David reigned for 40 years, and his son, David's son Solomon, reigned also for 40 years. It's kind of interesting. That's a long time. That's a long time. There were no term limits back then. No two terms of six years or eight years and you're done. No, he was king until he died. And so we get now, and and, and after David had come to be king, remember that he went up to Jerusalem, which was a Jebusite city. And remember, David had made the promise that whoever could conquer or begin to get into the Jebusite city, which the Jebusite city is uh, Jabus, it was called Jabus, but we know it as Jerusalem today. But it's on the higher part of Mount Moriah. And to get up into that place, it was very difficult. In fact, the Jebusites said that the, 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 the place was so impregnable that even the blind and the lame could defend it. Even the blind and the lame of, Jeb, of, of the town of Jeb, Jeb, Jabus, or Jerusalem at that time. And you remember that Joab found a water shaft in the Gahon Spring. And we visit this when we go to Israel. And you can actually, I had a... Um, Maybe sometime I'll show you the video, but we, we actually go to this spring and on the inside of the city walls, and you can look down and see where Joab crawled up this water shaft. It's called Warren Shaft now because a man, um, Charles Warren, found this place, and this is how De, uh, Joab was able to climb up this, this shaft where they would put down pails of water and bring up water inside the city. And that's how the city was breached. And that's how David took control of the city. Because before they even knew what happened to them, they were, they were already in great peril. Because all the armies, you know, they got up one by one over a period of time and they took it over without even a, uh, too much of a problem. And so the, finally, they, he takes over uh, Jerusalem. He calls it Zion, which literally is the king or, or the, the city of David. It's on the southern part. If you were to look at a map of Israel, or Jerusalem specifically, the temple used to sit right on the Temple Mount. Right now we got this ugly thing up there. It's called the Dome of the Rock. <laughs> it's that gold thing that's on the cover of all the, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing to look at. But um, that's where the temple used to be in that area. But right south of that is the city of Zion. And it's a little sliver of land that comes out, you know, a little compared to the rest of it. But that was called the city of David, Zion. And that's where David had his palace. And in 2005, they uncovered that whole thing. And now you can go visit it and you can see where David's palace really was. They found all kinds of artifacts. Really wonderful place to visit. So that's where David lived. And that's where David's palace was. And so now we get into, and and immediately after that, excuse me, after David had conquested Jerusalem... The, the enemy begins. The fight begins. And the, the Philistines, remember David was confederate with the Philistines for a certain amount of time. And now they find out that he's king over all of Israel. And so David goes and he fights 
fights the Philistines on two different occasions. He defeats them. And so they kind of know that their days are numbered, but they're not going to be defeated yet. It would take some time before David would finally subdue the Philistines for good, but he ultimately would do that in his reign. And so now, after defeating the Philistines, we get to chapter 6. And let's just go ahead and read it through, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. Notice with me in verse 1, it says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baalai, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And so they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, they drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark, And then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And so David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And so David went up and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came up into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked out through a window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then David offered burnt offerings, peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And so all the people departed, everyone to his house. And then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, who chose me instead of your father and all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this. 
and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And therefore Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. To the day of her death. And so we see this uh, wonderful moment. This, it's really a watershed moment, not only in the life of, of King David himself, but also in the life of Israel as a nation. You know, now that David had finally come into the, the, his reign, the only thing that was really left for him, really, to kind of feel like this is finally completed and that God is in this, is to bring the ark from, um, Ob- or from um, Abinadab there in Kirjath-Jerim and bring that into Jerusalem. It was, it was just like the last thing that needed to happen. And so David obviously was very excited, and you can't blame him, really, can you? I mean, have you had that moment when, you know, you've been waiting for something for so long and maybe something's been promised to you, maybe it's taken a long time to come to pass and finally it comes to pass and there's such a relief in your heart that finally it's just like, oh, finally. You know, it's like paying off a mortgage. (laughs) You know, when you finally do that, you're just like, oh. Then you go out and, you know, buy a boat on your home equity or something, you know. I don't know. But anyway, so... This, this is a very significant moment in the life of David and Israel. And you recall, just to give you a quick tour, if you will, of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was really the symbol of the presence of, of God. He, he was, you know, because the Lord says, I will meet you between the cherubim. And that's where they had their offerings. And uh, the Ark was a significant part of their worship. It was the foundation, the centerpiece, if you will, of the tabernacle. And even the high priest would come in once a year on the Day of Atonement and offer blood on the mercy seat, which was the lid of that Ark of the Covenant, where the the two cherubim overshadowed, looking down upon the mercy seat, where the blood was atoned for. And so it was a very significant piece to the children of Israel. And if you remember, when we were in 1 Samuel, the 4th and 5th chapter, Actually, chapters 4 through 7 of 1 Samuel, we looked at when the Philistines had come out to attack the Israelites. The Israelites did a really foolish thing. Remember, the the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle was in Shiloh at that time. And the children of Israel go out to war against the Philistines. And they went to Ebenezer, which is right next to Aphek. And... In that battle, remember the, the, the Israelites were feeling a little bit outnumbered, feeling a little insecure. So what do they do? They, they, they grab the Ark of the Covenant out of Shiloh and they bring it to Ebenezer, hoping that it would save them. And I, I, I emphasize the word it because that's the way it says in the scripture. That they were hoping that it would save them. But who is it really that's saving them? Is it the Ark or the God of the Ark? We know who, what the answer is, right? It's the God of the ark. He is the one who saved them, not the piece of furniture. And so this ark gets, the Israelites get badly defeated. The ark gets stolen from them by the Philistines, one of the worst things that could ever happen. And you remember they brought that ark from the Ebenezer. They brought it down uh, south to Ashdod. And remember, as a result of it being there, God had placed such terrible plagues on the Philistine cities, Ashdod and Ekron and Gath and some of these cities where it visited. It kind of went on a world tour in a sense. And every place it went, the men of, and, and women of the city, they broke out in, um, well, let's just be honest, hemorrhoids. They had hemorrhoids. They had um, 
uh, boils on their skin. It was just a horrible plague. And, and God struck them with that in Ashdod. And so they said, well, let's get this out of Ashdod. Let's send it to one of our other friends in uh, the Philistine city. So they sent it to Gath. Same thing breaks out there. And they're like, we've got to get this thing out of our town. So what do they do? They sent it to another Philistine town. You think they'd kind of get the picture that it's probably not a good idea that any of them have it. But anyway, so they sent it from Gath and they sent it to Ekron. Same thing breaks out, unfortunately, for them. So they finally get the idea, you know what, we're just going to take uh, some cows and we're going to build a new cart and we're going to harness those cows to this cart. We're going to stick the ark on top of it and we're going to let it go where it's going to go because we just got to get it away from here because we don't want to send this gift to somebody else. So (laughs) they're going to put this on a cart and certainly the cows, supernaturally, they go on the road and they find their way to Beth Shemesh, or I'm sorry, to, uh, to Beth Shemesh. And along with it, some offerings of gold mice and golden tumors that they had made as symbols of their pain. And the men of Beshemesh, remember, they looked inside the ark and God judged them for it. And so the men sent the ark now again to Kirjath-Jerim, where it remained in the house of Abinadab for 20 years. And this is really the place that David is going to retrieve it from, is from the house of Abinadab. But just going further on in history here, we know that David will try in his first attempt, and we're going to read that tonight, up to verse 11 is really David's first attempt to bring the ark from Abinadab's house. And we find out that he, uh, obviously the Lord intervenes and, and strikes Uzzah to death because of their error and, and how they were carrying it. And then David, it, we'll, we'll learn this from other passages, he, he has a second attempt, finally does bring it into Israel and puts it into a tabernacle that he himself had made. I'm certain that the tabernacle of Moses, which was several hundreds of years old by now, had just kind of wore out, but David made a new tabernacle for it in uh, the city of David there in Zion. And so the ark stays there until Solomon ultimately builds the temple, and then the Ark of the Covenant gets put into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, where it remained for a few hundred years until we hear nothing more about it. There's really no trace of it after a certain point of time. And that's a really interesting thing. Some believe that the Ark of the Covenant right now is is either in heaven, that God took it. Some people believe that it's actually buried under the foundation of the Temple Mount today, which is very possible. There's a lot of labyrinths and a lot of places where it could be there, hidden behind rocks. You, you just never know. It's, some people believe it's in Ethiopia, which I don't really believe that's the place. But either way, the Ark of the Covenant is MIA right now. Nobody knows where it is. And so this time frame, really, um, you know, it was in the possession of the Philistines for seven months. It tells us that in 1 Samuel chapter 6. And then it goes to Abinadab's house in Kirjath-Jerim. It's there for 20 years. It tells us that in 1 Samuel 7, verse 2. And then after this initial attempt that we read already tonight, David tries to bring it to Jerusalem, the death of Uzzah. He takes it into the house of Obed-Edom, and it's there for three months. While David is scratching his head, he's praying, he's examining himself. Why, Lord, did you allow this to happen? And then finally he understands what the problem was. He corrects the condition and finally brings it into Jerusalem. And there's a great joy, and we'll read about that um, in this chapter. But um, 
And so let's go ahead and look at it. Notice in verse 1, it says that David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Now, why would he gather that many men to go get the ark? Well, the answer is quite simple. Kirjath-Jerim is, is, is west of Jerusalem, uh, roughly 10 miles. It's closer to the Philistine boundary or the, the border of the, where the Philistines are. So David's thinking, if I'm going to go bring this thing and the Philistines hear about it, they're going to come after us. So I'm going to make sure i got my bases covered. So he has all these men go with him in case there is a skirmish of some kind. David's like, this ark will not be taken from us again. right? We're going to bring this thing back home where it belongs to be. And so David arose, verse 2, and, went, and with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah. This, this name of this town, Baal Judah, is really Kirjath Jerim. That's the name of the place. It's, it's known by both of those names. And so they want to bring up the ark from there, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, the Jehovah of hosts. This is the, the, the name of God. I, I love this idea because there's really no greater name than the name of Jehovah, right? There's no greater name among, among men whereby we must be saved but by the name of Jesus Christ. But the name of God is, is so important. It speaks of his, uh, of his character. It speaks of who he really is. The manifestation of all that God is. That ark signifies that. It symbolizes that. The very presence of the creator of the universe. And so they're going to bring that. Notice, who dwells between the cherubim, where the blood sacrifice is placed. That's where he dwells, and that's where he meets us. right? That's why the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, is so important to us. Because that's where we met him, is at the cross. There's no way you can meet Jesus any other way. You can't crawl up the wall to reach God some other way. There's no other way you can get to him but through the blood of Christ. No other way. And so they set the ark on a, of God on a new cart, verse 3, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, noticed they drove the new cart. Underline new cart. <laughs> it's really important that you get this, and I think most of you know where we're going with this tonight. But notice it was a new cart. A new cart. God permitted the Gentiles, who were ignorant of God's ways and his methods of doing things, they were completely unaware of that. And God allowed the Philistines to get away with this, but he wouldn't allow his own people to get away with it. He was, I believe God was going to allow it in his grace, but there came a point, we'll look at this tonight, where they crossed the line, they went too far. And that's when God says, I can't, that's a line I can't allow. And I love this because he even allowed, God allowed his own people, even though they were instructed hundreds of years prior how the Ark of the Covenant should be carried, how it should be traveled. He told them in advance. And yet for some reason, at this point, they were kind of like not aware of that. And, and I think the reason is very is easy. You know, Where did they learn to move the Ark around with a cart and oxen? The enemies of God. The enemies of God. Remember, they saw the ark coming. The men of Beth Shemesh are looking up in the distance and they see the, the, the cows coming and the, they're yoked together and they look and they're like... I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Second Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.